Hello, everyone, and welcome. Today, I'm here with Chahar Sorek to answer a core and fundamental question behind what all of us do as game developers. And we will discuss the question, why do people play video games? And joining me today is Chahar Sorek, who is the CMO of Overwolf. Chahar has over 12 years of experience in the games and technology industry, including as founder and CEO of Seven Element Studios, a game studio specializing in massively multiplayer online strategy games. And even further, in his past, Shahar worked as a creative producer and actor in Hollywood and Israel, and is a former five-time Israeli national champion in Taekwondo. Welcome, Shahar. Welcome. Pleasure. So, Shahar, today we're going to talk about the topic of self-actualization through gaming. So, can you speak about what do you mean by self-actualization in gaming? What, what does that mean? So, so I think that each and every one of us through life goes through a process of self-actualization, whether it's consciously done or unconsciously done, but there's a, an attraction, an organic pull to level up as you wish. And I think that it's very tough. Uh, we'll talk about that maybe later in today's world to sense make this process of leveling up. And I think that in games, games allow for a very understandable arena to develop an agency and then take that agency and sense-making of games into real life. Uh, yeah. And I think that, that as we move into what might be today, the age of games as you know, the next uh, decade and one would say the rest of the human experience, games are gonna be profoundly uh, uh, impactful and, and some of us are gonna spend most of our lives with them and, and in them. Uh, it's going to be crucial for us to understand how to navigate between real world, game world, and how to use some of the wonderful layout in games to sense make real life. Um, I, I think that the core dynamic is that because it's so, and it's getting harder and harder to sense make and find a sense of meaning and purpose in real life because of the amount of data and, and all sorts of things, when you move into a game arena, um, I'm, I mostly mean AAA games, um, you, you can identify immediately who you are, what your goal is, what you need to do. You have a sense of awe and wonder of how to navigate the world. And even if you don't know anything, you're just a noob. Uh, there's an organic kind of call to adventure um, that, that you can identify with in, in a pleasant way. You don't take things too seriously. You're not afraid to make mistakes. And you start experimenting and sense-making in a way that ideally uh, uh, could be applied in, in, in a way that could be applied in an attitude that could be applied to in real life. Um, and, and in that sense, the, 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 the sense of, of identity that is a bit separated from real world and the sense of adventure and the joy in it puts you in a good state to kind of sense-make who you are in the game. Okay, and what do you mean when you talk about sense-making? What, what does that mean specifically? I think that, I think that in particular in today when there's so much information out there for people, when they're bombarded by a lot of information that they have no control over, politics, big problems like climate change and multiple of problems that we hear, but we have no direct interaction on, I think that's a very new human dynamic. So 
because you don't have a sense of, okay, what can I do to affect this thing? You are in a, in a, you are in a certain crisis. Some of it, whether it's consciously you're aware of or not, there's a certain sense of what the hell is going on and what can I do to do within it? In the past, you know, not so long ago, we were in a very small confined environment. I was the blacksmith of the village. I knew exactly what I'm doing, who I'm affecting, had a very immediate or a very close cause and effect relationship with the environment. Today, it's not so. There's a lot of unknowns in how to navigate the world. Games is an arena that has a lot of clarity. So in a way, we see people, and in particular little children, yearn and develop sense-making in that arena because it's the easiest, it's geared, it's designed to slowly take you hand by hand, level you up, and it's comfortable for you to take risks and all sorts of things that are really good to developing a sense outside the world. How you transpose that outside is a whole thing, but just to understand that you can do these things and apply these attitudes is something that games at the core of a really deep immersive experience kind of helps you figure out how to do that. No just, other arena allows for this kind of playground. Right. So to some degree, you're saying that for a lot of people who may not understand what their purpose is in the world, why, why are we here on this, on this earth, that games to some degree fulfill a user need to actually understand, have purpose, be clear about what your role is. And I think the the one interesting thing, and I know we've talked about this before in terms of your approach and the way that you're thinking about games is that it really reminds me a lot of when I speak to Japanese game designers, because at least in the, you know, the Japanese think about game design and the objective of video games in a different way from Western philosophy. So a lot of mm. Western game designers really are rooted in terms of, okay, what's the mechanic? What is the specific, what are the features? What are the mechanics? Things of that nature. Whereas when you talk to Japanese game designers, they talk about what does the user need? That in the Japanese philosophy, they believe that games actually help to the to, to this word that we're calling self-actualization, fulfill some user desire for something. I want to be known. I want to sense make. I want to feel powerful. And so for some people who don't feel powerful in the real world, but you play this game and you're able to blast hundreds of enemies away and you're able to feel powerful that there is some inner desire, some user need that is fulfilled through a game. And I think we also saw this play out pretty powerfully this over this past year during the, the coronavirus, right? That this desire for socialization, that you couldn't meet with other people. And so how did that manifest? That user need then manifested in games like Among Us and Fall Guys and games like that, where in Roblox, where that need to meet with other people, to have social experiences right. together, manifested pretty powerfully in video games. Right. And so right. And and yeah, and I, I want to double click. You said sure. you said among us. Um I think that I think it's all the time about the meta conversation, the meta need. And then there's mm -hmm. mechanics on top of it and and ways to sharpen that. But yeah. for instance, Among Us is a game that 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 simulates real life in a real way. You have people on board a ship that are 
entrusted with constant tasks they constantly have to do to fix things and figure out how to navigate like very much like how do how do i make a living what do i need to do so you have these tasks okay i go to school i do this i do that i need to level up here whilst there's somebody that is trying to kill you while you're doing it meaning you can't be complacent with these tasks there's something bigger at risk here this is a meta process of life while we are sold on a certain operating system in which we need to behave in, there is something that is trying to let all the, the biggest uh, philosophers and, 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 and spiritual leaders of all times are trying to tell you there's something else going on, the matrix. There's something, you're not, you're, you're, you're playing by the rules. And when you're playing by the rules, you are going to be killed. This, this is the literal example in Among Us. I think people, when people play the game, they don't know that. But that's what it's playing on. It's such a, a deep-coded social infrastructure and operating system that that in times of Corona, stack up now, stack up the externalities that blend and 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 and, and break your sense making in real world. You're going to have people run over there and have some sort of a intrinsic connection to the game that they won't be able to explain. But it comes from the meta conversation. In that sense, I think that. When you talk about the the Japanese game makers, I, there's nothing bigger than I mean, you, you that's the ultimate experience. And also, the game teaches you, okay, you need to be more alert. You need to be more alert. You're going to have that effect in real life. To what extent? Already, that's a whole other conversation. But the basic muscle, these these small, like when you start to run and when you start to practice something, that's where you get them today in games. In that sense, I think that. Conscious ultimate level self-actualization is is mirrored in reaching a legendary rank or reputation or a level in a game. Um, okay. So you know, and and let's say let's take League of Legends. There's a climb from Iron to Challenger. So you hitting Challenger and then levels within that that puts you as a solo player or as a team player. On a, on a legendary now you're you're playing like if you come down and play the lower ranks you're just killing everybody like they're they're going to see things that they can't even respond to you're you're a legendary gameplay and i think that that in games generally speaking there are three tiers in which one can express or reach a legendary level there's a tier of the the solo gameplay where you become, you master the game arena, you master your character, you experience with a few characters, so forth, you develop, you know the game mechanics, and at some point, and that's kind of the core property that makes somebody legendary at large, is, is to be able to play with the rules of the game, to be able to repurpose and redefine their rules in a different way. They manifest a character, or they play with a character, you know? You could be a support, uh, supporting character, playing, you know, uh, a, a bruiser in League of Legends, or you can you can do something with a character nobody else can do because you've mastered the dynamic of the game as a solo player. And, 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 and that requires a lot of sense-making for you and for your character, very much like in real life. If you want to master a solo, you want to be a great musician or be a great guitar, whatever it is, you need to practice and practice and practice and practice. And at some point, you could do things that are unimaginable, that other people cannot do. And that's kind of the solo legendary level. On top of that sits a team legendary level. That's where, that's where uh, a group of people comes together 
you know, you could take a World of Warcraft raid or a tap challenger in League and, and any other game you practically want. And they manage to coalesce in a way that just their skill level is legendary. And that's a whole other whole other dynamic the legendary because you're playing with other people so you need to be great at what you do but you also need to read the other legendary people that you're working with it's it's a very intricate and complex that's a that's a whole other muscle the third tier and the final tier is creations where we see somebody reaches such a great level and they either for instance modders or what we deal with in overwolf right we we deal with a lot of people that mod a game or they write a new experience for the game and they manage to change the experience for all the other players while they're participating with with the experience itself so this climb from solo to team to creation each one of them within its own is a huge a huge accomplishment to read legendary and then when you go to real life you know you could be you could be a great musician a solo musician. You could be a great band, you know, like a Pink Floyd or whatnot. You could be a great composer for bands and solo players like Beethoven, or you could do some of, you could do it all as well, which are very rare individuals. So the game and the leveling up to legendary within game is an extracted, take that subset of qualities that got you there and you can apply that in real life. And I think that's what's so great. And I don't know of another environment, from my experience at least, that can that can be loaded with so much motivation, passion, curiosity. Uh, it calibrates a few core properties, like you know your attitude, your joy, joy towards experience, your your resilience and failure. It teaches you all these these very personal skill sets that that there isn't yet room for them outside the world and, and in that sense that's where i think at least some of the big game developers like roblox and what can can harness that power to educate people and to really turn this into a program and just so i better understand your framework and your concept around sense making i i do think that a game like league of legends people really don't understand the complexity and the nuance involved but to your point there's there's one aspect of the game which is around mastery right so you're for a specific champion, you're getting better at that champion. You're able to go up in terms of uh, competitive tiers of ranking up to legendary, to your point. There's also the sense of a role as far as, okay, are you a support? Are you mid? Are you a carry? Are you, there's different, it's part of a team. You have to fulfill a certain role in, in that game. And then there's also, I mean, we don't have to go into too much, but there's also this the aspect of the strategic elements of early, mid, and late game play. But as far as the sense-making part, what is, would you, would you consider the levels of mastery a part of, is the sense-making part just understanding your objectives and your role, or I'm just trying to understand your framework a little bit better? The, the sense-making, just like in real life, comes, yeah. comes in two main verticals. One is sense-making the arena which is knowing which lane to play in League of, if we take League as an example, how, do, how does the jungle look in versus the lanes when certain events happen? So there's the arena, the map, what happens everywhere. There's the, you know, early gameplay, late gameplay. And then there's the characters, the individual characters and your gameplay with them. These are two yeah. things in life. I can understand very well that I need, for instance, maybe, you know, to, I, I have a, I have a passion to do something. I want to open my own band. But if I haven't leveled up my my 
vocal or whatever instrument I'm playing, I'm not going to be able to execute on it. So it's yeah. two things. So, you know, it's, it's, it's like when you have somebody who, who can criticize a piece of art and there's somebody who's actually making the piece of art who has the capacity to also yeah. criticize, but he's making it. So he's, he's entrenched. He's in, 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 he's in, a, he's in synergy with the experience and the synergy brings about emergence emergence of unique properties in a legendary state that are whoa i didn't know these moves can be done and what you see in the real real cutting edge games in any sport not only league you'll see you know basketball and league for instance you'll see players suddenly come up and do things and you go like oh my god and this is what sells the ticket because there's an emergent behavior nobody did what they did now how did that come to be? Well, it came to be because the sense-making of the arena and the sense-making of self and the leveling up of that in an, brought to a legendary level of orientation. Yeah. And if you could do that in real life where you can have the discernment and the perception of everything around, this is, this is, this is East, this is mindfulness. I can see reality. Not, I know I'm lacking in seeing reality. I have the skill set to expand my reality. And I've developed it. And then I have the skill set to move in reality and correspond with it and manipulate it sometimes in a way that I choose. This is, this is mastery, right? This is where you see people moving really slow in a battle or moving really fast and changing. They have a bigger, they, they've trained themselves to see time in a different way. Uh, if, you, if you play league sometimes, you know, as you level up, you go like, wow, these, I mean, I can't, you can't even respond. But some of the guys are so fast. They're seeing six levels ahead. They know exactly where the bullets are. They know exactly what's coming when. And you could do that in real life. I mean, the, the, once we had movies, we had the ancient, you know, we had some philosophers. We're talking about some real deep, deep, deep studies of how you manifest that in real life. You can't hear that conversation too much in the space. You can hear it through gaming. In, in a certain sense, you know, games today and moving forward allow for a new, uh, allow for us to cohere in a new way about metaphysics and how to, how to handle reality. And I think that's going to be more and more because they're going to be so prevalent should the game makers decide to put an emphasis on that and, and actually go through it. But I think the experience is already there, at least from my experience of games. Even yeah. And just, just so I, I better understand what you're saying. So you're one of the things that you're talking about is that in, in games like, like a League of Legends type of game, if you add elements in the games in terms of variability and, and these other elements so that you can show mastery where you have like a really special masterful moment, kind of like a like a LeBron James master dunk in the real right. world, but that kind of experience in game, whether it's like the 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 player that pulls off a pentakill and just and just like amazes people, like having that kind of experience helps improve the the quality and the experience of the game. Is if I'm hearing you correctly, it, it proves your ability to replicate it somewhere else. Whether yeah. you do that or not is, is a whole other question. And how do you transpose that to real life? Yeah. But you've practiced it and you manifested it. At the high level, everybody that viewed that also participated in this experience. Right. That's why it's so strong. You all emerge together as many interconnected entities. That's what's so wonderful about esports and to, to live that moment. And right. now, if you so wish, you've done it in one place, you can call that 
into another place. Granted, there you need to level up other skills, you need to learn certain things, but you've already done that. You've already made the high jump. Now you need to make it in a just a different country. Right. And so I guess what you're talking about would apply to a lot of games that require a skill in where you can gain mastery. But what about other types of games like, you know, the, the games that that have been successful since the beginning, which are the narrative based God of War type of linear narrative based experience? Does your sense making framework apply to those types of games yeah. as well? So, so that's why I, I talked about the three tiers of legendary. Mm -hmm. You can have, and each one of them is very hard. You could level up to be a legendary God of War player. You, you, it, it's, it's just, and, and, and playing God of War is going to imbue in you certain muscles, which will allow you later to level up in real life. That needs to be taught. The transition needs to be taught, but the, you know, the playing does that you know when i was playing the early quest games when i was sitting in front and typing you know in in, in quest for glory and in, in the first quest for glory you end up in front of a tree fairly early on in the game and you type endlessly climb tree climb tree you there's no indication you're gaining experience you don't know when you're going to level up at some point you do and the whole game is very rigorous that way the game mechanic doesn't give any indication of when something happens like in real life you need to practice and practice and practice, and then something happens. Now, while playing these games, I didn't know what was happening to me. Only later on in life, after you know, many years of not knowing what is the produce of that type of behavior, I kind of made the connection. Where did I learn? Where did I first learn to do something, to grind something so rigorously, and then not expect the result? Like, where did I learn that separation of that? not immediate gratification. Where did I learn to be patient? And it was these types of games that taught me to be patient. Now, these were solo experiences, but they laid foundations and later, you know, you, you expand on them. So, so I think that each game has a different type of an experience to give you. And, you know, League of Legends is by, by large and far more of a social experience. It's, it's, it's a solo experience at the beginning, but then you need both first and second tier, legendary. You need to level up your solo. You need to level up your legendary. It's a very complex game to master, yet alone be legendary at. Um, some solo games are not. And the game, the, the fact that the game gives you one layer of like a space be, be, between you and your identification with it. So the Matrix, the movie, kind of the, 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 the metaphor of how we live, we, we find everything very salient in real life. But in games, there's a separation. I can, I'm, I'm a bystander. I can abstract better. I learn how to abstract better. I can take risks better. There's certain things that I start to play with. And that can be transposed. Right. And so if you were to give advice to game developers, designers out there trying to apply this notion of sense making to a game, like what advice would you give them or how would you advise them to think about whether it's a specific concept or, or a way in which to design such that they can improve some of their games uh, that they're working on? Well, I think you gave a very good example in the beginning of the conversation with the mm -hmm. Japanese uh, players. I mean, sometimes the game maker doesn't have the faculties to design the meta of the game. They just are tied into an experience and they know how to create a mechanism around that mm -hmm. experience. 
I, I would urge uh, the game maker to take a deeper dive and also responsibility for the meta conversation of the game. Because I think that's where the re also, also long-term ROI on the big ones is in that field because, because there is a dynamic that happens in the world because of the way we set up this type of civilization we're living now with a very predatorial type of uh, game theory uh, economy that, that people are just going to lose it in real life. They're not, mm -hmm. cor add Corona, add some wars. Add, I mean, civilization is a, in a very iffy place for a human being today. And games, games build a very, very closed environment in terms of me sense making in it. So if the game maker knows that and he's not just happy from the money he's making and the, and the doubling down on whatever gets the dopamine and, and oxytocin and, and all the neurochemicals going, he also knows that that's a tool. He can lead a educational or a self-growth revolution with or just subscribe to it. I think that's a huge opportunity. That's the, and that's where I think that the gaming world at some point will get to. It's It's kind of the era of games. The game will be the entire ecosystem. Uh, there's no major movement in any game developer now, so who knows when that's going to happen. But I think that's the way it should go. Yeah. And I know that from, from my perspective, I really hadn't thought about your concept of around sense-making, but it does, yeah, it, to me, it does make sense. <laughs> that, uh, as I mean, far as how complex the world is, and you're trying to, in going back to user needs, right? For me, the way that we look at games is we actually think about it in two ways at, at our company, which is one, what is the user need that we're trying to fulfill? And so we're working on a shooter game today and our chief creative officer, you know, he's, he's actually, you know, he's not a Japanese game designer, but he's always had this natural feeling about social desires and social mechanics. And so mm -hmm. the user need that he's, he's focused on is how do I make somebody famous? Right. And then the second thing that we focus on, not in addition to the user need, would be what is the feeling? Like, how do we want players to feel? So, in a game, you know, so we believe that different games imbue a different kind of feeling. And working in shooters, that the feeling that you play, that you have when you play a game like Valorant, is actually different from the feeling you get when you're playing a game like Call of Duty. Like, Call of Duty is about fast action, feeling powerful and like killing people and, and showing your mastery. So like, that's kind of the, the feeling and the user need is like, I maybe in real life, I'm not that powerful, but I want to feel powerful. And so whether it's, you want to be famous, you want to feel powerful, or to your point, you want to make sense of the world and you want to have this smaller, virtual environment where you understand your place in it and your role in it. And it's very clear that I, I do think that the, just kind of thinking about this more and just, you know, thinking through uh, both your frameworks and, and, and how we think about game, game design is that, you know, I would say one thing that I would recommend a lot more Western game designers to do is to shift their model from not just like that's one, one, you know, sort of lens to think about games. Sure, mechanics, sure, you know, uh, different features. That's one one way. And I know there's people thinking about personas and, you know, I, I think that's kind of, you, sure, it's useful, but nobody besides the Japanese is thinking in kind of this way, what, what you're suggesting as well, you know, 
thinking in terms of like whether it's sense making or user needs and how people actually feel. And so I, I personally believe that's very, very not well understood, at least from Western game designers. And, and, and I think that, you know, uh, game makers are very busy with creating the core experience of mm -hmm. what they're doing. And it's a very, uh, a very tiring, costly adventure. The bigger the game, it's just people don't have, and, and you know, the dynamics of the financials behind it. And you need to show what is happening every quarter. And you need to show you're on the up and you're spending this amount of money and everybody's expecting you to do this and that. There's a tremendous amount of pressure on a game maker that hit anything. And I think that the it, very much like the rules, the rules of making business, of making a game studio work or any type of business are going to push it towards the bottom line, which pushes the focus of the game maker. And it doesn't matter how much money they're making to increase certain type of mechanisms. So you're going to borrow from the free to play world and some of the more iffy, questionable dynamics to increase revenue. You're going to play with all sorts of things to show your shareholders you're maximizing value. And that's that's the rules of the game. So within the creation world, somebody needs to come and be that legendary gamer that says, you know what? I'm going to play it differently. I'm saying there's an ROI on that. Yeah, and I do think that to your point, there are different approaches by different game makers as far as the... You know, like some people call it the player experience relative to the payment optimization and that balance. Now, I do think that speaking about League of Legends, what Riot has shown is that you can actually be incredibly friendly on the payment side, right? Probably one of the friendliest forms of monetizing players that, that you can have and still make a ton of money. I think it's all a matter of player, right? We see in the East that you can have small pay to win games that have very small community that monetize wonderfully. Like, you know, they have 10,000 people, but they're all, or the majority of them are like mega whales and the game makers making a lot of money. That's fine because those individuals are in control. That's how they like the game. Mm -hmm. I mean, I'm sh with a caveat, of course, it's not fine. There might be problems there as well, but that crowd is more geared to that towards, of towards, form of gameplay versus the Western free-to-play audience that, you know, I, I think there's there's a lot of problem. I think that we call gaming, gaming at large. We put their casino games, social casino games, games that are casino but aren't being introduced as casino. I mean, there's there's the riots and blizzards and, and, and you know, the AAA experiences. And then there's a lot of people that try to look, they're very predatorial in the way they're working. And that's the company. They're, you are the product. And Shahar, if you were to think about, so we mentioned League of Legends as an example, but if you were to think of other games that have this notion of, are good examples of games that have this concept around sense-making, what other games would you describe as, as being a good example? Well, you know, all the games that we played when we were young, almost, mm -hmm. the solo experience were non-intrusive and very compelling. It's you know, it's 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 a it's a narrative skill. It's if you know how to tell a good, compelling story, almost any type of PC-based game probably is. I won't say every, but probably every or the majority of them are are games that can help you self or learn self-actualization one way or another. Um, most of my first initial experiences, there wasn't multiplayer. You know, it was a late '80s or '90s. I mean. 
until EverQuest and some of the more some of the multiplayer came in. It was uh, it was me in front of uh, in front of my computer, sometimes talking with my friends or in the early days, some of the age of empires that you can connect by LAN or whatnot. But but solo experiences are great a great place to start. Um, but I think that in terms of where the world is at, and particularly the younger generations, like social hits them right away. Roblox, you know, every second child in the U.S. plays Roblox today, and they're yeah. in a social environment. You got TikTok, you got all these social uh, platforms. In in a sense, uh, you know, perhaps you could get that on PlayStation, the solo experience, a good solo experience, or where you've grown up, you can do PC, but. A lot of our youth and, and generations are are planned or geared to social, um, but as far as it's not, or it's a it's a valid free to play sub game, you know, Riot being kind of the the category leader in how to monetize, I think that it it, it probably has some value. If if you can experiment and grind with failure in a in a non intrusive way, where not like you know, like in in, in in a match three game where you're just, they calibrate, they dynamically price your level of skill to just that last stone and you gotta, and you're done and you, and you know what, I'm gonna do the 499 and just get it. I'm, I'm smarter than this game. As long as it's not that, I think that you're good. Um, yeah. And maybe the one last question I could ask you is really around when you think about different geographies, right? And so we've we've seen, for example, different types of games being more popular in different regions. So shooters have always been number one in the West. RPGs have always been number one in the East, things like that. And, you know, free to play and like monetization, like the West cares a lot more about fair to play than the East. The East is like, okay, if I pay, I right. want. I, I, I want to get my money's worth. What I yeah. paid for. You better make me right. a lot more powerful, right? Does your concept of sense making, like, if you were to think about geographical or regional differences in terms of different cultures and things like that, how would you think about that? I think that in the next decade, we're going to see a merge between East and West. I think that the younger generations are much more similar in the way that they behave. Mm -hmm. There are massive differences, but. I think we're going to be we're going to start seeing some interoperability between games. Some people, you know, say metaverse or whatnot. I think it's more of a adjacent verse than a metaverse, but um, maybe in twenty years or whatnot. But I think we are going to see some meshing of these crowds, and some of them, in particular, like with League and some of the more popular games that are going to be like you know they're going to be worldwide. Uh, esports is going to get way, way bigger. There's going to be more games coming in. And I think that what we're going to see also, and we're seeing that in, in Overwolf, is games that equip their creator community with more tools to create a, a unique experiences within them and create micro communities within a game that game a certain mod um, or a certain a certain variation of the game comes. So I think, I th I think we're going to see more of the cross between those. Cool. And so maybe just like, maybe we could end in terms of just getting an update. You know, I had an opportunity to interview Uri, CEO of Overwolf before, but mm -hmm. as far as the, the Overwolf business and how things are going, and I know you've 
you've kind of joined and are taking a more active role at Overwolf. Could you speak to that and kind of what the current business update on Overwolf is? Yeah, sure. Um, Overwolf, uh, a phenomenal company and team. Uh, I've been, you know, I've been advisor, advising a bunch of startups here in Israel, and I've had my own, and I've been a part of a few companies. Um, they're a really great bunch. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm humbled to be part of this team. I was advising Ori on on go to market, whether it's uh, sculpting the new brand of Overwolf that's going to come out that I did with the guys, and whether it's uh, how to tell the Overwolf story when we raise funds now. And they had a remarkable year. Uh, they paid out in 2020 10 million dollars to creators, which is uh, modders and uh, in-game apps, game overlays applications that Overwolf has the unique business model to facilitate monetization on those. We're going to, we're projected to pay $29 million this year. I mean, it's, it's wow. huge growth. Yeah. This, this, growth. this is becoming a, a, a legit profession, you know, like once there were streamers and YouTubers, now they're in-game creators. That's how we call them. People who come and modify a game or build something on top of it. Um, and it's, it's a big spike in, you know, we have north of 20 million uh, monthly active users. Uh, we have over 30,000 creators on the platform. Um, we recently, uh, in March, raised uh, $52 million from Insight, Griffin, Ubisoft, and a bunch of other companies in our existing Intel market. Um, it's very, very happening. And we, we hope to, our, our vision is that this next era of gaming is going to be a, a lot around user-generated content and, and creators who are passionate about games. Big studios up till now have been very reluctant for legitimate reasons to open up their games for modifications. Yeah. Uh, we've seen also Roblox did a big service here to show what the potential is when you let gamers participate in creating in the ecosystem. Right. So basically with last year, we bought Curse Forge from Amazon, from mm -hmm. Twitch. And, and we, we are in the process of uh, building what we call Curse Forge Core, which is a, a tool for game developers, which will allow them to develop or give tools to their gamers to develop and mod their own game, the game of the studio. And we are already running and creating this with some major studios. Some, nothing I can talk about at the moment, but I'm sure you're gonna hear about it later on in the year. Some, some big, big developers are signed on on this and some big motions. We see a future where you know, creators or, or gamers that are passionate uh, about the game and wanna create something new, whether it's League of Legends or just a small modification, are the game developer actually facilitates and helps them make that at large for the whole industry. We believe that the gamers or the game developers that are not going to have that are going to be priced out of the market because these small creator communities, we see what, what happens to a game like Minecraft when the modding community be, plays more than the game itself. There's just the longevity and the interaction. And there's a lot to do here in terms of economy and, it's a whole other layer of, uh, of, of, of creation and passion and interaction that seeing forward what, what's happening in the industry is going to be a must. It's going to be a standard. And, and Overwolf currently is leading the market on that. And, and we're super excited and also humbled to be facilitating all these things and seeing them as, as, as they're being created. 
All right. Well, Shahar, thank you very much for that update on Overwolf, as well as for telling us all about your concept around self-actualization and sense-making. I thought that was very interesting. Definitely aligns with, uh, you know, in, in a slightly different way, but but definitely aligns with the way that, that we think about game design and self-actualization. And I, I thought it was very interesting and hopefully helpful to the audience. So thanks very much. And thank for the audience, for until next time, catch y'all later. Thanks, Jahar. Thank you very much. Bye.